Revelation 12 in just a minute, Revelation 12. I wanted to do a little bit of a, uh, a uh, recap of that final, uh, not final section, but that first section uh, that we were able to, to go over. Um, and, and I'm hoping with, with the, the recap, it's just kind of some good reminders about how that first section has kind of uh, developed. We, we saw in Revelation chapter 6 that you... I think it's safe to just kind of call that an overview of, of everything that's that's going to happen. When we did chapter 6 uh, way on back, I, I noted to you that it seems to just kind of give the details of what is going to be as an overall for, for the event. So you have a picture of these warning judgments in an effort to get the people to repent. You have the saints under the altar crying out how long, and then you see a final uh, picture of, of a judgment on, on the nation lights out with the sun, moon, and stars at the end of chapter six. But before all that can happen, remember chapter seven has, we need to uh, seal the servants of God, and they are pictured as being victorious before God's throne. Uh, and I would summarize eight and nine. Oh. Well, at least it wasn't 4.30 in the morning, huh? Right. See, I turned that thing off a long time ago. I'll let you all take care of your phones for a few minutes. Yeah, mine doesn't do that. No. I turned mine off ages ago. I think it was like... It was like 15 years ago, like there was an Amber Alert at 1 in the morning, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I am turning that thing off. So all those emergency things I have... Kick the slider off. All right. Yep, it's going to rain this morning. Your phone just told you. All right, here we go. <laughs> uh, no, no. <laughs> All right, so chapters 8 and 9 uh, then are the details of those partial judgments. And then chapter 10, you have that angel saying, no more delay, but when the seventh angel sounds his trumpet, uh, the things that were announced by the prophets, the servants of God, they're going to be fulfilled. And I'd remind you of Daniel 12, verse 7, where you see that angel of, Dan- of Revelation 10. He's there in, in Daniel 10, so, or Daniel 12. I'll get the two numbers quick figured out yet. In Daniel 12, the angel says, time, times, and half a time when these things are going to happen. In Revelation 12. 10, that angel then appears and says, no more delay. When that seventh uh, angel blows the trumpet, then all of these prophecies will be fulfilled. And when you read chapter 11, you see that angel sounding the trumpet. It's described as the holy city being trampled in verse 3. And so there you see that picture of all how that unfolds. So that's kind of one of the the, the big overviews about what's going on. Um, two weeks ago, we, we spent time in chapter 11 talking about the two witnesses. And one of the things that I wanted just to kind of color that text a little bit is sometimes I don't know that we always get a good feel for what the Roman point of view was about Christians and, and Christianity. And so I, I don't want to read all of uh, this, this section of Tacitus, but I, I want you just to hear the the kind of way he recorded history about Christians where he he talked about them as being loathed for their vices. I hope you get a sense of irony about how the Romans would look at Christians and say they have vices. (laughs) 
And their vices are not doing what the Roman world does. <laughs> They're not acting like us. They don't participate in, in our practices. And so they exclude themselves from that. Calling it a pernicious superstition. Uh, Judea is called the home of the disease. <laughs> so you get a sense of what the feel was where all things horrible and shameful in the world collect. <laughs> so this is what they they enjoyed about Jerusalem and about Judea, their their perception of, of, of those things. And, and I'll give you then if you continued on a little bit more. And here's a citation. If you are interested, you can read Tacitus book 15, section 44. Uh, if you'd like to go uh, read, read more about about him. Uh, but describes this. The reason he records this is about how Nero blames the Christians for uh, the fire in Rome. And you can see why he could have done that is because there's a pretty negative sentiment in general in the Roman Empire about about Christians. So in talking about as for the hatred of the human race and the derision and all of that. I remind you of that because remember in Revelation 11, it talks about when the, the, when the invasion of Judea and Jerusalem, the holy city trampled, it says the whole world rejoiced. <laughs> and I want you to get a, a feel of in the first century, there would have been like, good, we finally got rid of that mess. <laughs> We're finally done with them. But then chapter 11 described those two witnesses as, as coming back to life and continuing on and and bringing about that that judgment. So I thought a little bit of that might be useful to think about what the world looked like at, at that time. It's not like everybody went around hugging Christians. They weren't really terribly uh, big fans of them. As we come into chapter 12, I want to remind you what John was told at the at the end of chapter 10. He was told that he's going to go prophesy about peoples, nations, languages, and kings. And so we're moving forward with other judgments that need to be unfolded. So you have your Bibles. Let's read chapter 12, and then we're going to talk about uh, the symbols that, that are there. Revelation chapter 12. <clears throat> and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of, in the agony of giving birth. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her, ch her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And a great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. 
They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away like a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. All right. No problem there, right? Ready for chapter 13. Uh, nice, nice pictures that, that, that are given here. And so uh, the two steps to do in here is define the symbols. And once we've defined the symbols, I think we can then spend some time talking about what the actions are. So as we look at three main, main pictures, three main symbols in chapter 12, let's take it from easiest to hardest. I think the easiest is the dragon. Who does the dragon represent and where does the text tell you this? Satan. Where does it tell you that? Okay, verse, verse 9, notice the, the very big description. In case you weren't sure, the ser- ancient serpent called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Got it. <laughs> know who we're talking about here. Four, but yeah, how many different ways to ensure that we got this? So dragon is easy. So when we're looking at the dragon in this text... You're looking at pictures of what is the devil doing in all of this imagery, all right? Second picture, not quite as easy, but not as hard as the third one. So we'll take the male child next. Who is this and how do you know based on what verse does help you figure out who we're talking about? All right, talking about Christ, how do you know that? Verse 5, who is to rule the nations with a rod of iron? That's a quote from Psalm 2. That's a messianic text right there where uh, the Lord and his anointed and he's established on his throne. and He's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. I also put on the screen Revelation 19.15. It's going to use the same thing. When you see Christ in Revelation 19 riding in on the white horse, it's going to say who rules the nations with a rod of iron. So you have... Psalm 2, as well as Revelation 19, to help us that this male child that we are reading about here is describing Christ. All right. Now the hard one. Be careful. (laughs) Be careful with this one. Don't get, remember these are symbols, don't get too literal. But who then is the woman in this paragraph and... How do you know based on who it is? This one's the tricky one. You think it's the church. Mm. You think it's Israel. Israel. All right. Okay. And Julie. Okay. All right. Any other shots at it? (laughs) this is the one when things kind of start breaking down well good for you for not saying mary i appreciate that (laughs) wasn't sure if that was going to (laughs) come 
Because, okay, we're getting there, right? These are my people. Uh, uh, yeah, Mary doesn't work here because we're not talking literal images of giving birth to this male child. There's a symbol that, that's, that's being used here. And verse 5 is, is, is really your big clue is asking this question, well, Who's giving birth to the male child? If you're using history and you're using what's gone on in, 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 in the Bible, and you're going to say, what's bringing forth the Christ? A lot of you kind of put your finger on it. I think you would be talking about Israel as, as that, that figure. Here's some places in the Old Testament that describe that. I'll put that screen back up in just a minute. But Micah is, is probably your best place to, to observe this. In Micah 4, verse 10, notice, writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion. That's, that's Jerusalem. That's, that's Israel. Like a woman in labor, for you are now, for you shall go out, now shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. But there you'll be rescued there by the Lord and redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Three verses later. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who was too little to be among the clans of the nations for you shall for, from you shall come forth for me one who will be a ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from the days of old from the ancient of days notice the imagery again therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth and the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel so the, the flow of the existence of Israel, one of its primary purposes is to bring about Christ. That's, that's one of its, its key functions. So there's that screen again right there. That, uh, Debbie? I have a question about that. I, when I first was reading it, it sounded, I was agreeing with Good. There, there seems to be a little bit of a shift that happens toward the end, doesn't it? And hold that. We'll, we'll, we'll get there because we'll talk about all the actions that, that are going on. But it is interesting to watch Israel seem to almost transform what it's pointing at exactly as you get really toward the end of, of the chapter. Now, that would make a lot of sense in a way, wouldn't it? Since that's what the Old Testament prophets are talking about is this transformation of a physical Israel to this remnant spiritual Israel and to observe that in chapter 12 since it's kind of depicting some of uh, history here would, would work and it makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> Alright, so there's your three images. So when we see the dragon we've got the devil. When we see this male child, we're talking about Christ. When we see the woman, we're talking about Israel in some dimension, which we will kind of walk through as we go through that. Vicki? Oh, sorry. Okay. If your hand's like that, I'm going to call on you. <laughs> All right. No problem. All right. So now let's, let's walk through uh, the imagery. Let, tell me about these first six verses here. What is the dragon trying to do? It's trying to ultimately destroy this male child, right? It's, it's an interesting picture of the dragon just seems to be waiting for the woman to give birth to the child so that he can just destroy the, the, the child. That seems to be, be the very uh, idea. 
Oh, go ahead. Um, and it, I think to reiterate it being Israel, if you look at that very first verse, it, the, the sun, moon, and the 12 stars, that's Joseph's dream of his parents and, and the 12 sons. <coughs> Yeah, Israel is, is, is pretty, has to be pretty much the, the, the picture there because of verse 1. You have this clove of the sun, the moon, and, and notice on, on her head how many um, stars are there. Because so it looks like 12 tribes of Israel picture right there. And it does connect to Joseph's dream there that, uh, that you see that same, same picture. So here is Satan trying to destroy uh, the male child. I would suggest that this probably has a a general reference to what the crucifixion scene would have been like. Is that you have in the death of Jesus three days where it looks like darkness wins. I mean, you might remember the the two on the road to Emmaus. They their hope is lost as they're walking, and Jesus is. Is like, hey, what are you guys talking about? You remember, he's, they're like, don't you know what's been, been going on back there? We thought he was the one to restore Israel. But he's dead. You know, that's, that, that's what Luke 24 is spending its time on, is what that looks like for those three days is all the hope of the world is, is dead. That, that he was the one to, to rescue. He's the Messiah, right? When he dies... You read the gospel accounts, nobody is sitting around going, yeah, well, we know he's going to raise in three days and it's going to be amazing. (laughs) They're all like, (laughs) I mean, remember when the women come and tell the disciples that the tomb's empty and he's risen and we saw him, they're like, no, (laughs) no, Peter and John go running to the tomb. They don't go like, that's amazing. Can't wait to see him. They're like. You're crazy. Uh, they're not ready for that, Dennis. No matter how many times he told them in different ways what was going to happen, they still did not understand. That's right. All throughout, and we've been seeing that in our study of Matthew, Jesus keeps telling them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, die at their hands, I'm going to be raised on the third day. And it never seems like the ending of that sentence really sunk in. The, the, all the other stuff was... but. Raised three days. That's that's unbelievable, Charlotte. That's right. And then we get to the point that you have Peter and the disciples in, in John twenty one, or they're 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 back to fishing. They're back on the on the on the boat in Galilee again. So it looks like, and I think this is the, what this is trying to depict is this is all of Satan's efforts to destroy the Christ through temptations, even through death. Uh, sometimes people will ask, you know, do you think Satan knew that when Christ died that that was going to be his demise? And I would say no, because otherwise he wouldn't have done that. <laughs> he wouldn't have been pushing that direction if you know that's going to be your ultimate uh, ultimate downfall. But I want you to notice the picture that's that's given there in verse 5. Is the Verse 4 ends with that the dragons trying to devour the child but verse 5 she gives birth to the male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to god in his throne so to me that's your resurrection and ascension scene so you have crucifixion looks like the dragon has has going to succeed in in destroying this child but three days later resurrection and ascension is actually does the opposite and then goes about and destroys this this dragon instead. Yeah. We've had this conversation 
my house several times that people will wait in lines for the next iPhone generation coming out, the 24 hours, two days, whatever. People saw all these miracles. People witnessed it. People were with Jesus. Nobody hung around yeah. for the third day. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. You think it's unbelievable? Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. It, 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 it is something that I think was extraordinarily difficult for the disciples to believe that was going to happen. And um, it's, I think it's, it, we can't discount the emotion of, of his watching his arrest and, the trial and the death and the devastation of what you would have experienced uh, going through that, that it just feels like we just wasted our time. You know, it's, it's, it's over. Um, but you're right. You know, we, we, we wait around for some, some silly things, don't we? But, uh, uh, thank <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of things that we do like that. Vicki. So, um, but in, in, in that, it clearly states, and I, you know, I don't know which book, um, but Jesus says that even though he tells them, it still kind of keeps it hidden from them. Yep. He's never alluded to that, that I read that he knew they didn't understand that he was going to die. He knew <coughs> the way he was telling him, yep. to, you know, so, and here we are 2,000 years later, quick with yeah. The entire manuscript. Sure. And I don't even think it hits us on most days. Yeah. Or most, you know. He told them plainly, but just because somebody tells you something plainly doesn't mean you're going to grasp <laughs> the implications of, of what that's all going to entail. And that's why you have John's Gospel repeatedly saying they didn't understand this until after the resurrection. The, the, the clicking in happened really at, at, at that moment. I'm just like, uh uh-huh, now, oh yeah, you said that. Now I see it. But you know, but we're that way. You know, is it? What do we say? Hindsight's twenty twenty. We're all we're all about that, Frank. I'll tell you one thing: as dull as the Pharisees were, they definitely got that one straight. They, they got, yeah, they, they certainly, they cert, they certainly did. Um, you'll notice the other picture that's that's given here in verse six is that the woman flees to the wilderness uh, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for one thousand two hundred and sixty days. So I think it's it's not indicated anything more about about this except God's preservation of Israel, uh, not only throughout history, but even through this time that. God's going to give an opportunity for physical Israel to repent. I mean, the book of Acts is that, is that Jesus is crucified, he ascends, and now the apostles are going to run around trying to tell them it's it's time to get on board, it's time to come. And so uh, I think that's probably the simplest illustration, explanation of these first six verses. Questions about, about that idea of how that's being described and playing out? Not too bad, right? Sounds crazy, but it's not too bad. All right, then let's look at verses uh, 7 through 17. So look at verses 7 and 8. This one is uh, probably where things end up off the rails some about where people think about what this is talking about, where 
you have this picture of now war arose in heaven and Michael and the archangel are fighting against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated um, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. Uh, and then you have a picture of the dragon being thrown, thrown down along with all of his, his angels and then the cry of uh, victory uh, in, in verse 10. I, here's, here's what I, I think is that we would just say that the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is depicting this decisive victory over the dragon. So you have this picture of the dragon is trying to win, trying to devour the child, is unsuccessful in devouring the child. The child uh, ascends to the throne and sits at the right hand of God. And that is the decisive uh, blow, the decisive victory, putting essentially what's going to be the end of, of Satan's power. Julie? Yeah, exactly. He's using that same idea. His crucifixion, glorification, resurrection is all going to be that that decisive victory over Satan and sin. And so I think verses seven and eight are depicting uh, nothing more than that, is that the the struggle is now over. The the war is, is, is done. Christ is victorious. That's that's the end of the game now. It is the fulfillment of Genesis, the fulfillment of a lot of things that the scriptures were, were, were pointing to, for sure. Uh, Charlotte? Not really the end of the game, because he has to keep on defeating his enemies and his body Okay, yeah, you'll notice that you don't have now, and so the dragon goes home, licking his wounds, saying, well, what a bummer, I thought I was going to win, and I guess I'll just leave everybody alone and go on our merry way again. I hope we get this over with before the next hour. After yesterday, we'd be surprised. I'm sure. We've had them all week. <laughs> We've had them all week. Julie, go ahead. I don't want to go down any radicals, so you stop me. Okay. Luke 10, um, Luke 10, 38 through 40. Luke 10, 38 Good. That was a little confusing to me because, he, it, you know, it's past tense. I saw him. That's right. And so I was trying to figure out what he meant by that. Good. That, that threw me a little bit. Okay, that's not a rabbit hole because that's very similar to what this next verse says, is now the, the dragon is thrown to earth. Now... I think that's that fits in the in the same picture that it, I, I if you look at verse ten, verse ten is the explanation of what this means. That sometimes when people read verse nine, okay, well this is you know Satan getting thrown out of heaven and now he's you know literally walking the earth and there's no place in heaven for him anymore and all of that. I, I don't think this is what that's that's getting at at all. Verse ten, notice it just simply says now that he's been defeated. I love the wording of verse 10. Now the salvation and power and kingdom of our and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. It again is underscoring the the magnitude of the cross. This is the decisive blow. 
So how do you describe a, a, a massive blow so that the, this, this power, Satan, dragon, is described as losing? He's described as falling. That, that, that's the idea. I don't think Revelation 12 has anything to do with Satan was in heaven and then he was a bad angel and then God booted him out and he went ah, down to the earth and now he's, he's walking around here. This is, this is symbolism. Think about the book of Job. He's before the throne accusing. That's his job. He hasn't left the spiritual realm and is hanging out here. The whole point is this massive loss. He has just been catastrophically defeated. His power has fallen. And what Julie read in Luke 10 is the same idea. When the disciples are going through the land in the limited commission and they are healing and casting out demons, notice what Jesus describes as the significance. I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So Jesus was standing there and he, you know, he's, wow, there he goes. You know. That's a symbol, right? He's saying, we're winning. You conquering demon shows our victory. We are succeeding. We have the kingdom and authority and power and rule. And we are beating back the foes of darkness and succeeding against him. And this was like a pre-picture by them being successful over Satan and his angels and unclean spirits of what would be the ultimate reality in the cross. And so this is depicting that. He's lost. He doesn't have that power anymore. He has been defeated. There's no... Then he's going to get his power again. And no, he's, he, he's done for. And so it's, it's depicted in terms of falling. By the way, as, as a fun aside, remember Isaiah does that about the king of Babylon. Unfortunately, the old King James said, you know, Lucifer falling. <laughs> well, it's not Satan there, but it's the same picture. The power of the king of Babylon, and that's Isaiah 13, I think. Uh, maybe 14, uh, where he's depicted as falling from heaven. Well, what are you saying? Your power's gone. You, you're, you're, you've lost. You're, you're, you're done, Mike. Uh, not just to put Harris on well, Jesus was there at the beginning of Genesis, but is this based on this verse when Christ's kingdom starts and begins? I wouldn't make it this verse, but I think it is a place you could use that idea because it is interesting that it says, now, now we also saw that back in chapter 11 and verse 17. Remember when we see this destruction of this worldly nation, verse 17 says, you have taken your great power and begun to reign. And we were like, Be- began to reign? You've, you've been reigning. Well, as you conquer another power... It's just another enemy under your feet, another assertion of your authority, another assertion of your power. And so the same thing is being depicted here is now Satan is also under Christ's authority. He is defeated and he's not going to have that power again either. And so Luke 10 is actually not a rabbit hole at all, but a perfect confirmation to the text. Questions? Sorry to break it to you if you thought about Satan literally falling. It's, it's, it's better than that. 
<laughs> his power has been completely nullified. <laughs> Christ has defeated him. All right. Notice verse 11, what that also means. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives even to the death. Who else is winning over Satan? We are. So here's the people of God pictured. And that connects back to verse 10. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. So that that uh, picture of our victory now uh, because of that. Look at verse 12. What does it say is going to happen? How's the devil feeling about all this? He's, mad. he's a little mad. <laughs> so, verse 12, you'll notice it says, He's come down to you in great wrath because he knows the time is short. That'll be explained here in just a minute as, as well. But I want you to, to see the scene is that so he has failed in his attempt in trying to overthrow God's plan, overthrow the people of God. That can't happen. That can't succeed. And so you see a, a victory not only for Christ, but also for uh, his, his people. And that's what verse, verse 11 is describing. By the way, we saw this back in chapters 2 and 3, conquered by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. What is described about what they were doing that made them conquerors? They died. They did not love their lives even to the death. Remember those seven churches of Asia where he's telling them, be ready. You're, you're going to be going through tribulation. You're going to be going through hardship. It's going to be difficult. But to each of those churches, he says, but to the one who overcomes or to the one who conquers, I'm going to give. And then there's a different picture in each of those churches about what they're going to receive. You might also remember that same picture in Revelation 6, the saints under the altar are crying out, how long? And the answer was until the rest of your brothers and sisters are killed for the cause of Christ. That was uh, also pictured for us. So you're getting this, this imagery that the people of God are not going to love their lives first. They're going to be willing to lay it down for the word of God and his, his testimony. And we saw that in chapter 7, the People of God who are around the throne, remember it says they've washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. And we talked about they're faithful to death in, in that. And that's being depicted here as well. Sure. Forgive me for muddying the waters, but Romans speaks of spiritual Israel and yep. physical. Yep, that's right. We're not there yet, but yep. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're working there. <laughs> So many of them now that look at Revelation as though it tells of some physical victory that will come. Mm -hmm. And the victory is already won. That's right. Even with the death. That's the right. Death is the, victory. the death is the victory. So that's so much of the shaping of hay and all of these yes. premillennial teachings that's that right. come out of here. Yeah. That's, this needs to be the place we look when we remind yep. our friends. It's not telling us about some victory. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. How often the scriptures, including a text like this, are trying to tell us the victory was won at the cross. There, there's not a future event that we need some kind of victory to be accomplished by Christ. This thing has been settled. It's over, over and done. 
And, and Revelation 12 is going to say, all, tell us what all that, that Satan has left to do. Uh, he, he's, he's been completely broken by, by this event. Uh, you'll notice that in verse 13, it says, when the dragon saw that he had been thrown to the earth. So again, just visualize he's lost. He's been defeated. He's been uh, completely uh, wrecked, I guess might be a good word for this whole cosmic battle that's happened. Absolute failure on his part. He pursued the woman who had given birth to, to the, the male child. And then you'll notice how it all depicts this. In this attempt, verse 14, but uh, the woman was given two wings like a great eagle that it might fly uh, from the serpent into the wilderness. Verse 15, the serpent still tries, uh, shooting a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away like the flood. But verse 16, the earth came to help the woman, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed the river, and the dragon had poured out from his mouth. So what, one of the things I think I want you to see is then Satan loses again. <laughs> it, it is, this is a great picture of he keeps trying to do something and keeps failing at doing it. First, it's going to be destroy the Christ. Fail, not going to happen. Now I'm going to destroy the, the woman. No, that's that's not going to happen happen either. So if you look at verse 17, what's left to do? The dragon becomes furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring. And notice who the rest of the offspring are. That's plainly given to us. Those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of of Jesus. So this is where you start seeing that Israel shift kind kind of happen right here is First, God is protecting physical Israel because he made promises that through that nation, all the world was going to be blessed. It was going to be through Christ. Satan tries to destroy the Christ. Nope. Tries to destroy Israel. Nope. Now all that's left for him to do is try to harm the people of God. And so that is an unfortunate setting of the table of guess what the rest of these chapters are going to describe. How the dragon's going to try to destroy the people of God. That's what's going to be looked at now at this moment. I think it also shows that what we've been talking about is that God destroyed physical Israel, not Satan. That's right. He didn't allow Satan. So what yeah. we've been talking about, the destruction of Jerusalem and stuff is coming in God's hand. Yeah, it is God's hand, right. Not Satan doing something that God did not allow. That's right. Yeah, God, God is in, in full control of all of that. Uh, so that's what I think would be a great summary of, of, of 13 through 16 there is... Satan yet again tries to accomplish a victory of some kind and fails. Now, you might remember Zechariah 3 has kind of a great idea, visual prophecy of that. You have this, this vision sequence where you have the high priest Joshua, who is before the throne, and it says there is the accuser, who is standing there accusing the high priest. And you're told in Zechariah, the high priest is wearing these filthy clothes. And so it sounds a lot like this, like, you know, Israel's filthy. They are worthy of judgment. They can't be with God. They cannot be called God's people. And so God's solution is, yeah, you're right, Satan. I guess off to judgment they go. No, the solution is put clean clothes on them. You know, you see this whole cleansing scene happen of, of the high priest in there. 
And it starts depicting the coming of the branch. That how is this going to happen? How can God forgive his people? How is he going to cleanse Israel? How is he going to protect them from the accuser? It's going to be through the Christ. His sacrifice will make it possible for his filthy people who are rightly accused by Satan. That's what Satan means, the accuser. He, they can now be successfully spared because of that. And I think that's what this is doing in this, in this bottom paragraph is showing it's through the victory of Christ that the woman is being protected, even though the accuser has gone after him. So what's left to do? If you can't destroy Christ and you're not going to be able to spiritually destroy his people because they have forgiveness, all that's left is to try to kill them. And that's what verse 17 says. I'm going to go make war on them. I'm going to go try to destroy them physically. I'm going to go make their life miserable. (laughs) That's what I'm going to do, Julie. That's right. Well, and think about how that works. What is the threat of death going to potentially do for the Christian? Compromise faith. Which is what the seven churches of Asia letters were saying. You're going to go through it. But to the one who overcomes, to the one who endures, to the one who makes it to the end. But he's going to put their lives on the line now. And he's going to try to do it that way, where now people will not follow, but will forfeit their faith for that cause. Uh, We'll see Jesus talk about that in a few lessons in our Matthew um, sermon series that we've been doing. We'll see Jesus specifically put his finger on that that very concern, Charlotte. Persecutors, right? That's right. They are persecutors, right? Well, and that's why we're in this this shift that's happening here in in chapter 12, where now we're going to deal with who's next. And that's why chapter 13 is going to be the picture of this beast. Who else is going to be a problem to the people of God? And what, what entity is Satan going to use to try to make war with the saints. Well, he's going to use a, a world power. And so that's what where chapter 13 is going. It's probably a bad chapter break because he goes off to make war. And the very next scene is this beast rising up. And it's like, here, here's, here's the power of the dragon trying to use this beast as, as the vehicle for the destruction of God's people. That's a good power where he uses that term, the synagogue of Satan. It does. It does. It really does. We, we do, we do. So, and, and we, when we stand in the first centuries, I've, I've done with you many times, we, we see in the early years of Christianity, we see the Jews are persecuted. We saw that even in those early chapters, a term like synagogue of Satan, those who say they are Jews but are not, specifically says that in the seven churches of Asia. But they're not the only problem. And I even read to you there Tacitus, who was from 55 to 120 AD. There's a whole nother problem that's going to be on the rise. And 
Uh, Acts starts kind of alluding to it. They're not the primary problem, but they're about to be the problem. The Roman Empire is going to become this new problem for, for the people of God. And as I mentioned to you, we'll do chapter 13, Lord willing, next week. But as I mentioned to you, there's like probably two places of, of agreeance in the book of Revelation amongst all interpreters. And one of them is chapter 13, that the beast is the Roman Empire. There's just nobody sees it. I was like, for once, everybody agrees on something, even though there's 5 million books with 5 million interpretations. This is the one that everybody goes, yeah, this has to be the beast. It connects to Daniel 7, which we will look at next week. Uh, but this rise of the Roman Empire, that the, the, the dragon is going to use that beast to be the means to do verse 17, to make war on the rest of the offspring. Frank? And that's a powerful sifting the thread of your life, because in Job, uh, he, he tells God that a man will get all he has to save his life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's why you have, you know, Jesus, you know, telling stories like, you know, hey, don't fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can kill body and soul. It's not because that wasn't a, a you know a problem, just you know random musings of Jesus. That's clearly something that's present. You know, don't worry about those who are going to try to kill you. You better be more concerned about the one who's in charge of all of that and to give your life to them. All right. Hope that helps for chapter twelve. We'll look at chapter thirteen next week. Please connect up to Daniel seven. That's as you read about this beast. Go back to Daniel seven and read that. Fourth terrifying beast there in the descriptions. You'll notice an awful lot of parallels that are there to help us get a good good feel of uh, what's going on in this book. 15-minute break, and we'll do a reconvene at 1030 uh, for worship. Thank you, everybody.